to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 14 through 22 and then chapter 11 verses 17 through 32. It can be found on page 957 of the Blue Bible in your aisle. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 14 through 22. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless... Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there was, is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then from chapter 11, verses 17 through 32. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are many divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as I drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
Let a person examine himself, then as so to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks, who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to uh, pray for several people before we come to uh, the word. Uh, One is... Janice Lambert, who's uh, here with us today, who is going to begin treatments this week, uh, radiation and chemo for for cancer. So I ask that you would be praying for her. Uh, Laura Anderson is supposed to give birth on Tuesday, uh, or to uh, her twins, so we're uh, in prayer about that as well, and, uh, and some others that I want to pray for. Uh, and also just to mention to the elders that we're going to gather in the uh, library for prayer as well today after after worship. <clears throat> Let us pray. Well, Lord, we worshiped you as the Holy One, the, the one who is king over all things. We, we began our worship, Lord, by exalting you as Lord over the flood, Lord over the waters. Lord, over those things that are that come against mankind, those things that symbolize even the curse, that symbolize the destructive nature of sin and what it's done to us all. And Lord, we are all struggling within our lives against various great difficulties. And Lord, we are called to do this by your grace. We are not delivered from the struggles of this world, but Lord, you take us right into the middle of them so that you can display your grace in our lives to a watching world so that we can all the more give glory to the God that sustains us in the greatest difficulty. We pray for our sister, Janice, that you would bless these treatments to the utter removal, Lord, of this cancer. We pray, O Lord, by your mighty power and wisdom, by which you can do anything, and by your great love that you have for our sister and that you gave yourself for her, that, Lord, you would go beyond, even if need be, whatever medical technology and treatment is able to do and Lord further remove and restore our sister. Oh Lord, restore her, we pray. We depend upon you, Lord. You've commanded us to pray for healing. You've commanded us to expect you to do great things. Lord, above all we pray that Janice and Derek will give glory to you in the midst of this struggle, that they will rest in your peace and shalom, that they will know your presence and your love. 
we pray for Michelle Swagger and her continuing struggle with cancer, Lord, that you would remove this from her body as well. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would sustain our sister in this long and terrible struggle that has involved so many things. Oh, Lord, draw near to her. Make known your presence. Give her joy in the midst of pain, we pray. Make her to see your greatness and goodness and to rest in you and to hope in you. Oh, Lord, we pray, deliver her from this disease. We pray for Laura that you would give, have a safe delivery of these two girls. Lord, we pray that they will be safe, that they will be whole and that their uh, young condition will be cared for in exactly the way they need to be. And we thank you for the technology that has already preserved their lives in such a wonderful way. And we pray, Lord, you continue to use all that the doctors and technicians and nurses will do to preserve their life and to keep them whole. Protect them, O Lord, from physical harm, we pray. And give this young couple, Lord, a great sense of your presence, that you are their shepherd, that you attend them and give yourself freely to them in the midst of this. Oh, Lord, may they taste your goodness. May they see that you are good. We thank you that our brother Tim Bates is back with us. We thank you for what has been accomplished so far in this surgery. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for sustaining him in the midst of terrible, terrible pain and return visits to the emergency room because of medical struggles. And, oh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to heal him, continue to restore him, continue to help uh, manage the pain of it, Lord, and, and as he engages in physical therapy. And, oh, Lord, we, we thank you for what you've done. We pray you'll continue until he is fully restored. Oh, Lord, many others in various ways struggling with so many things, relationally and physically and economically, several who need jobs. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would sustain your people in all of these ways. Meet the need of your people, Lord. In whatever way, and all of the varied needs that we have, Lord, we pray that you would attend each one of them and that, Lord, you would give yourself freely to your people and bless your people. And bless us now, Lord, as we come to your word, that we will give you glory, that we will give ourselves to this word, that this word will encourage us and build us up in Christ. Lord, these things we pray for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Last week, we began to talk about uh, the Lord's Supper. And in this very passage uh, in Corinthians, Paul gives us an insight into what the Supper is because he says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This word for proclaim is used again and again in the New Testament to talk about the proclamation of the gospel. And as we said, the, the Word and the Supper come together and they both proclaim the same thing. Uh, the, the, the Gospel itself, as Paul says in Corinthians, it's basically the Word of the cross. 
He said, I knew nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. He said, I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so the cross is central to the message. It's, in a sense, the whole of the message. Every avenue leads to that and away from that is the centerpiece of all proclamation. And, and so alongside of that is this other proclamation of the same content of the cross of Jesus, proclaiming in a different way, in a different form, this same message of the availability of Christ to his people. And in this way, we're actually enabled to take of him physically as a symbol for how we can take him spiritually and that we truly do take him and we are connected with his death and united to his death as we we gave the illustration of a child being taken to the water fountain. And so the supper uh, helps take us to the water fountain of God's grace in Christ. And so we have this, this glorious uh, enabling institution uh, that helps us get even more at Christ and to believe the gospel that is proclaimed to us and, and, and that it's available to us individually. It, it's yours. Here is Christ. Take him. Here is, here is Christ's death. All the benefits of Christ are yours. Receive them. Rest upon them. Rejoice in them. Live them out in your life. This morning, we want to continue in this study and talk about two things. Talk first about covenant and then fellowship. We want to talk about how this institution of the Lord's Supper is so rooted in covenant and then how also it relates to our fellowship to one another. And those things, of, of course, are, are related themselves in that as we are covenanted with God, we are covenanted with one another. We can't be related to God without being related to his people. We can't trust in Christ and serve Christ without uh, giving ourselves to the body of Christ, uh, of which he is the head. Now, as a, as a background for this, I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles. And if you don't have your own Bible, you can take the Bible that's in the pew and turn back to, Levit- uh, to Exodus chapter 24. That's the second book in the Bible. It's on page 65 in the pew Bible. And I want us to look at the establishment of the covenant between God and Israel, and to see how specifically Jesus refers to this covenant when he is establishing the the new covenant in his blood. In chapter 24, there is the commitment of the people in verse 3, that they would commit to all the words that the Lord has spoken. And their sacrifices are offered in verse 5. And in verse 7, it says, He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And here, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And then notice, as representatives of the whole of the people, 
Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders. This is likely a number based on the fact that 70 people went down into Egypt originally before the Israelites were multiplied into this, uh, this large number. So the 70 represent Israel. And notice, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people. That was amazing to them. They're in the presence of God, and he didn't lay a hand on them. It wasn't a a presence of judgment. It's a presence of blessing. And notice, they beheld God and ate and drank. So they had this intimate fellowship meal right in the presence of God because of the forgiveness uh, that was attained for them through the blood. And he declared it in these words, Behold, the blood of the covenant. So the blood of the covenant brings them into intimate fellowship and they eat and drink in the presence of God. Now, with that as background, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. We usually don't run through the Bible like this, but I feel like it's important today to see these passages. Matthew 26, this is the beginning of the New Testament, page 832, if you're fishing around there. Now, this is Matthew's version of what occurred as the Lord instituted this supper. It differs some from Luke and Paul. Paul tends to follow Luke. It just means that many more things were perhaps said that night. Some reported in some way and others reported in another way uh, all that was, uh, some of what was said. But notice how he reports this. After talking about Jesus taking the bread and and saying, take, eat, this is my body, verse 27 of chapter 26, he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Taking exactly from Exodus 24, verse 8. This is the blood of the covenant. So here is Christ saying, in this cup is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That phrase is taken from Isaiah 53, verse 12. And Isaiah 53, that whole chapter, is a prophecy concerning the servant of God who will give his life as a ransom for many. The one who will die in the place of sinners. The one who will win for them justification and forgiveness. All we like sheep have gone astray. The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That's one of those verses from Isaiah 53. And so here Christ takes the statement made at Mount Sinai, the blood of the covenant. He joins it to this statement in Isaiah concerning the servant who is to come and die for the people And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that is given for many for forgiveness. 
And of course, this is on the eve of his own shedding of his blood. So it is rooted in the covenant of the Old Testament, but now Jesus is saying there is another blood that will be shed. It is the blood of the servant. I am that servant, and I'm about to pour out my blood for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant. And so he he tells us, he tells them, of course, to drink of it. And, and Paul reiterates this in chapter 11, to drink. And this means to participate in this. It, it was unheard of that you would drink blood in the Old Testament. Just unheard. You just don't do it because the, in, in the blood was the life of the animal. And that was considered a holy thing. And, and you do not transgress that by drinking blood at any point. And so this is really shocking language that he would say, this is blood, and now drink it. But it's a, it's a graphic way, shocking way in the context of saying, you must participate in this shed blood. You take your share in what this blood is accomplishing for you. It's a way to urge us to trust in and be joined to all that this blood accomplishes for us. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 11 then. Paul, and this is the language of Luke, talks about this covenant in a bit different way, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So specifically, it's stated this is the new covenant in my blood. Whereas Mark and, and Matthew lean toward the old covenant expression to show the continuity of the, the new covenant with the old covenant, that as blood was shed in the old covenant, now blood is shed in the new covenant, Luke and Paul emphasized the newness of it. But it's implied, of course, there was an old covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this statement of covenant is glorious and wonderful because covenant means that God binds himself to us to do us good. Sometimes when we say God is a covenant God, it doesn't really register with us what that means. But it means God is a God who promises himself boldly and completely to do us good. He commits himself in utter faithfulness and trustworthiness to be our God and to be all that we need in every way that he can be as God. And, and that's the meaning of covenant. And now this new covenant, as expressed so often in Hebrews, is based on such a better, it's on such a better basis. This old covenant was just the blood of animals that couldn't really pay for sin. They could only be repeated again and again and again to indicate sin is not dealt with. Sin has not been atoned for. It just had to be repeated and repeated. And then Jesus offers one sacrifice. Now there's no sacrifice 
just a remembering of that sacrifice. As he says here, do this in remembrance of me. And so covenant means to remember and renew ourselves to God, and especially, though, to recognize God's covenant accomplishment for us in the blood of Christ. To remember is not just to have a mental, uh, intellectual remembrance of, of something. Remembrance is much bolder and deeper than that. To remember God's mighty acts, for instance, or to remember the poor, is not just to call them to mind, uh, Thistleton writes this, but to assign to them an active role within one's world. So, if we say, remember the poor, you don't just say, okay, I'll remember them. You know, you think about them every once in a while. You remember the poor? Yeah, I thought about them yesterday. I thought about them again today. I'll, I'll probably think about them some next week. I'm going to remember them. You know that's not what it means. To remember means to bring all of their needs into your world as to affect you, as to affect how you live, how you regard them, to assign them an active role within one's world. And so in that sense, to remember Him is to bring Christ's work as a living force into our lives. It is to recast ourselves and renew ourselves in the light of this covenant accomplishment of Jesus Christ. It really is a reorientation of our identity. This is what I am. I am bought with the blood of Christ. I am united to his death and resurrection. I am united to all the benefits that he has accomplished for me. And he has told me to come and take it and eat and drink. He's told me to remember him. To remember him is to enter into or allow that world of the covenant accomplishment of Christ to affect all that I think and say and do. It's to recast myself and renew myself in the light of that covenant accomplishment. It's to let the new covenant in His blood constantly define you and reorient you, to rewrite your identity, to put your identity and the the reason you do everything within the context of the death of Jesus. That's what it means to remember Him, to remember what He has done. In a sense, it's to wrap the cross and its meaning and its accomplishment and the benefits and riches of it so that it surrounds you, so that you never leave it, so that it defines you. So as Paul can say in Galatians, all I know is that I'm crucified to the world and the cross of, of Christ defines me now. I read of one church that put a cross, I think I've talked about this before, a huge, ugly wooden cross right in the middle up front where you had to kind of look around. You know, it was always in your way. And, and they did that on purpose. 
say, you, you can never, ever think about preaching or life or anything or worship apart from this cross. Because this defines you. I, I do like the fact that we have a cross there, you know. And that this is, a, in a sense, a, a kind of symbol proclamation of what the whole Christian life is, what all of preaching must be. And, of course, having the Lord's Supper is to actually give us the opportunity to partake of that covenant, to identify with that covenant, to participate in that covenant and all of the blessings that it brings to us. It is also the opportunity for transformation and renewal. Because if you are reoriented by this new covenant, if you're reoriented by the death of Christ, if in identifying with Him you die to your old life and live to a new life, which is the language of the cross again and again in the New Testament, then all bets are off of what you can be. It doesn't matter ultimately how long I've been a certain way or how many bad habits or how many tendencies, how many fears I've lived with and have become a part of me, how many coping mechanisms I have for getting through life that are not trusting God. This is an orientation to the new life that I have of dying unto my old life and living to my new life. And it's pictured so graphically by our taking the body and the blood which is a taking to myself of everything that Jesus has done for me and identifying closely with it. And so this is transformation, much like Paul says in Romans 6 when he says, "There, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Well, you see, we actually get to act that out, don't we, in the Lord's Supper. I am dead to sin and alive to God through what Christ has done. The context for Paul to say that is our identity with Christ and His crucifixion. And so in the supper, we're able to declare and believe and receive to ourselves the benefits of being dead and alive. Or, of course, being forgiven. Being, as Paul says in Titus 2.14, that He died so that we would no longer be lawless, but that we would be zealous for good deeds. There's another to come to the new covenant and say, Oh Lord, in Christ, I'm a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. In Christ and as a result of His death, I can be zealous for good deeds. Oh Lord, I receive the benefits of Your death to myself. I receive physically and by faith spiritually, Lord, the benefits of being made one who is zealous to do good. So we come, we come again and again to the Lord's Supper with all of our brokenness and our weakness and our sinfulness, and we come afresh to be reoriented by this new covenant that is in His blood That is God's absolute promise of faithfulness, commitment to do us good, to forgive us our sins and transform us by His grace. And so, again, to remember is to bring the cross of Christ as a living force into your present life. And this leads easily to the second point that I want to at least touch on. We'll, We'll hit more of it next week, but to touch on this idea of fellowship. In this passage, 
it's obvious that, that Paul gives this event in verses 23 through 26. He, he talks about it because of the problem that is occurring in Corinth. We can assume that he wouldn't have brought this up or he wouldn't have gone over what Jesus said in the upper room to establish this supper and the ongoing tradition of keeping this supper. He wouldn't have talked about it except for this terrible problem that was occurring in Corinth. Now, what the early church did as best we can gather is that after worship they would have a fellowship meal together, sometimes called a love feast, okay? And in the course of this meal, they would have the Lord's Supper as well. So there would be an extended aspect of worship and, and fellowship in which they ate, and then somehow in that context, they would have the Lord's Supper. Well, as you can gather from this, they, the, the people who had a lot would come, bring all their big picnic baskets, all right? You know, hey, yeah, would you, and, and maybe even help some of the poor people to bring it in. You know, would you get that basket for me? You know, all that kind of thing. So they're surrounded with tons of food. Some people were so poor they had hardly anything to eat. And the people who had a lot were not even sharing with them. They were ignoring them and neglecting them. And Paul says, because of that, some of you are sick and some of you are dead. You get the same feeling as when Jesus said in Matthew 5, if you are, if, if, if you're at the altar, sacrifice is right there, and you remember that you have something against your brother, your brother has something against you, then leave it right there and go and straighten it out with your brother. Because this worship is not real unless you're real with your brother that you are out of accord with. But then why would Paul talk about Jesus that night? What, what is he getting at? I think one of the things that he is, he is getting at is to describe the supper in terms of what Christ expressed by that supper, in terms of his own character. Here's Christ in the supper saying, here's my body, it's given for you, the new covenant in my blood, this blood is shed for you. This is a sign and symbol of the way I have given myself up for you freely and sacrificed myself for you. And then at that supper in which you are now identifying and embracing my sacrifice for others, you are going to neglect and ignore one another? You get the feel of it, you see. It's this participation in Christ's death is also a participation in His stance of sacrifice, in His character of giving Himself to others. And it demands that as we identify with Him in His death and we receive the forgiveness and the new life of it, that we give ourselves up to the meaning of it in our fellowship with one another. So that it's not only our source of redemption, but it's our pattern for life. 
And, you, and to say we're going to do the one without the other is, is blasphemous. To say, I want to receive the benefits of Christ's death, but I don't want to live out that death in my life. I don't want to look like Christ in my life. I don't want to be identified with his death in the way I live before others. And so this, this body is given over for us, but this, and this blood is given for us, and this participation in it is a public identification with the sacrificial lifestyle of Christ. But it's also, it's, it's both, because if it was simply that, you know, us coming up and saying, I've got to dedicate myself to being like Jesus, then it would be incredibly frustrating and depressing, because I can never be like Jesus. But it, it is salvation. It is the salvation of forgiveness that so renews me and enables me to taste forgiveness that I, in turn, begin to forgive others. It reveals His love in such a way that I begin to love others. And it's a renewal and a strength, a new life from God to me so that I've died to my old life and lived to my new life. So it is source, it is resource. And based upon that, I can freely give myself up to Him. I can freely give myself to Him and say, Oh Lord, give me life. Make me know Your salvation And identify with his death, realizing, oh Lord, you will so save me that your death will begin to be lived out in my life. And it was because they were actually carrying on the supper and abusing and ignoring and hating and despising one another at the supper itself that they were being judged by God. It reminds us of Isaiah 1, where Isaiah said, Your sacrifices are like somebody trampling around obnoxiously to me. They just stink, basically, he's saying. Because blood is on your hands. And not necessarily literal blood, but... He says, you're not caring for the orphans. You're not caring for the poor. You're not caring for the needy that are among you as my people. You're ignoring them. And all the while bringing sacrifice. And he says, that's why judgment is coming upon you. So the Lord's table is both a symbol of the great renewal and covenant we have with God. And at the same time, it is this glorious opportunity for us to identify time and time and time again with the death of Christ and to take it as our new life. I think of Paul when he says concerning his own ministry, he says, we are carrying about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And there's that idea that We are dying in so many ways, sacrificing ourselves. We're losing our life. And physically, Paul was losing his life over a period of time. But it's so that the gospel of Christ and the life and character of Jesus might be made known in my life. And that's something of what is entailed 
in our remembering Him and why I think Paul would bring this up right in that context to say, don't you know the meaning of this? And if you don't discern that meaning, that this identification with Christ means that you must sacrifice yourself for one another, then you will eat judgment to yourself. So may God enable us as many times as we take this supper to covenant afresh, to enter into all that He has accomplished for us in this covenant that He promises and binds Himself to do for us. And in that context of renewal and reorientation that we will give ourselves to live out that sacrifice in our lives. Let us pray. Lord, we praise You that You've given us Yourself in the covenant. That when You said in the Old Testament that You would be our God and we would be Your people, how could we fathom that it would mean that You would actually come in the flesh and die for us? You would so identify with us that You would take our sin upon You and take our sin away by Your own suffering of judgment. And that You would take us as Your people and and make us Your body join Yourself and unite Yourself to us so that we receive the inheritance that You earn for us. And all of it is pictured here in this supper. It is pictured as we partake of Christ. Oh Lord, may we all the more experience the new covenant in Your blood. May we live it out in the way we give ourselves away, even as Jesus gave himself for us. O oh Lord, you will renew your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my life. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away?